0: This podcast has been prepared exclusively for institutional, wholesale, professional clients, and qualified investors only, as defined by local laws and regulations. Please read other important information, which can be found on the link at the end of the podcast episode.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the September Eye on the Market video audio podcast. Uh, This one's entitled, What Was I Made for? Large Language Models in the Real World. Uh, I wanted to focus on this topic again uh, because of how large AI is as a catalyst of what's going on in the equity markets. But first, I just wanted to review economics and markets for a minute. Not that much has changed since our August piece uh, called The Rasputin Effect. Um, leading indicators are definitely pointing to weaker growth by the first quarter, but the expected decline is, is pretty modest as potential recessions go. Um, uh, you know, tighter credit conditions are certainly going to have an impact, but um, all the 17 or 18 leading indicators that we watch, uh, none of them looks really terrible. They all just look kind of modestly bad and a little bit weaker. Um, The reason why things don't look worse after 500 basis points of Fed tightening is that the Fed policy is being offset by a few things. First of all, very large fiscal deficits, almost as large as they were in 2009. We're having the beginning of a U.S. industrial policy, which is essentially incentive-driven spending by the private sector on infrastructure, energy, and semiconductors. That's starting to kick in. Household and corporate balance sheets were pretty strong coming into this year. Uh, delinquency rates uh, outside subprime auto are still very low. And um, the private sector took actions to lock in low borrowing rates before 2022. Apparently, the only entities that didn't get the memo that rates were unsustainably low were a handful of some of the regional banks that you're all familiar with, who extended their asset duration at the wrong time. And housing markets and labor markets are pretty tight. So the normal transmission of higher interest rates and higher Fed policy to to crater housing and labor markets isn't isn't transmitting quite the same way, so uh, all of these things are are at least at the current time kind of keeping uh, a severe recession at bay. Um, I do want to talk a little bit here about oil prices, oil price, the uh, OPEC spare capacity that um, is pretty high. It's not as high as it gets during recessions, as you can see here in this chart, but it's pretty high. Um, uh, you know, for for an outside for a non-recessionary period. Um, OPEC has engineered quite a bit of spare capacity. Now, that can change quickly, but um, right now, spare capacity is pretty tight. And you have to combine that with two more things. First, um, the publicly traded energy companies are spending a very small share of cash flow. We have a chart in the eye on the market that shows um, the percentage of energy company cash flow that they're spending on new projects, specifically oil and gas related projects, and that's a very low share. And we juxtapose that against global fossil fuel use. Um, And you can see the industry is starting to cut back on future projects for all the reasons you might imagine, uh, even though we really haven't seen much of a decline yet in um, global oil and gas consumption. Um, And then on top of that, you've got the Strategic Petroleum Reserve at the US at the lowest level it's been in in many decades. So you know, tighter OPEC conditions less oil and gas investment and a depleted strategic petroleum reserve uh that combines to kind of goose up um, oil and gas prices and then we'll have to see what russia has installed for the world they've already announced some restrictions on diesel exports higher energy prices tend to feed into inflation within a few months and so one of the things that you're seeing is the markets were pricing in a um, some fed cuts next year um, that's now gone now i did want to focus most of this discussion on the generative AI catalyst, because we have a chart in the Eye on the Market this time that shows uh, the ETF for the generative AI stocks is up around 60% this year, while the market, excluding those stocks, is up around 5%. So this has definitely been the year of generative AI, and I wanted to take a look um, at at how it's being used well and where it's failing and then perform my own specific test on, on GPT-4 specifically, because I thought it was an interesting exercise. And the reason I want to do that is, there, it's juxtapose these two things. Number one, people are out there comparing large language models to electrification of farms, the interstate highway system, um, and the internet itself, and, and that's, uh, those are kind of some pretty remarkable milestones. While at the same time, we've just lived through a period whether it was cannabis investing, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, blockchain, crypto, hydrogen, where a lot of things were kind of touted to be something that they turned out not to be. And so now we're getting a surge in interest in the large language models. And, and uh, I think the reality is somewhere in between the nonsense of the metaverse and crypto uh, and the seismic changes introduced by the inter- interstate highway system and, and electrification of and farming. Uh, so let's take a closer look. I started out just doing something uh, lighthearted, but still meaningful, which is there are these multimodal AI image generation models. And I used three different ones you can see here Bing, Starry AI, and Dolly, and which is with GPT's version. And I asked it to create an image of two people sitting at a table looking nervously at a robot that, with them, and that the robot should have a label on it so that says strategy terrainee strategy team trainee, like working for me. None of them did it right. And some of them, you know, the mistakes are interesting. So the starting on the left, um, first of all, there's three people, not two. And one of the people looks like they're in a horror film, which is pretty scary. And lots of people have extra hands and legs and fingers and things like that. Um, The second one from Starry AI got a little bit closer. You have somebody looking nervously at a robot, but there's only one person instead of two. And both the first two ignored the whole thing about the strategy team label entirely, and then you have this Bergmanesque and, and also fairly terrifying offering from Dolly on the right, um, splattering some letters on the table, not on the robot and not really spelling anything. And so I, I thought this, but still the interpretive proficiency is inter- is good uh, in certain ways. So I thought this mixture of good, bad, and bizarre was a good way of starting this uh, discussion. So um and some of you will pick up on on the on the uh the theme of this and where and the pop culture references i'm using but when you when you think about a large language model and something it's made for here are some examples that are currently working it's helping management consultants in terms of speed and quality uh and task completion you know whether you're impressed with that or not depends upon what you think of management consultants um uh People using Copilot, which is a programming tool, are having a lot of success with it. It's doing a great job on statistics. It's helping people that do professional writing. Uh, it's helping customer support agents um, be more productive. It's improving their employee retention. And it, a lot of these things tend to help the lower-skilled workers the most. It's even having some successes in successes in medical research. The one that I thought was interesting, where somebody fed in some of the 70 most notoriously difficult to diagnose medical cases just based on the descriptions of the symptoms people were having. And and it got two-thirds of the diagnoses correct. Now you're not gonna like all these large language model use cases. Um, people are using them to generate digital mountains of fake content, fake news sites, fake product reviews on Amazon, fake ebooks, phishing emails. I've spelled phishing wrong. Because I, I like fishing so much I should have spelled it with the pH. So, uh, and a lot of this stuff seems designed to profit from Google, essentially fool Google's automated advertising process um, into paying it um, for for people looking at junk content that they don't really know is AI generated. In any case, you know, these are the things that it's doing well, um, and where the use cases are expanding. I. I saw this chart um, from OpenAI, and I, and I wasn't, but I wasn't as impressed as I think OpenAI wanted me to be. And it's a chart that shows how GPT-4 is doing versus GPT-3.5, taking all sorts of standardized tests. Um, and as you can see here, there's mass tests and, and chemistry exams, bar exams, biology exams, history exams, uh, SATs, GREs, things like that. And there is something, I think a lot of you are probably pretty aware of this right now, but there's something called data contamination, which is if you train these models on information sets that include the questions and the answers to all these exams, all we're really analyzing is whether or not GPT, or any of the other ones, whether it's Bard or Bing or Anthropic or any of the, any of the rest of them, are good at memorization. But we know that large language models are good at memorization. So I'm not really sure exactly what's being proven here, Other than the impact of having 10 times more parameters in GPT-4 than GPT-3.5 makes it better at memorization. I think the more important question is you don't hire a lawyer so that he can sit down and answer bar exam questions all day. You hire a lawyer when you need somebody to integrate new information and evaluate things maybe they haven't seen before. And when you look at those kinds of tasks, large language models aren't doing quite as well. Um, and this, uh, we have a page in here called It's Not What I'm Made For. Uh, when GPT 4 has been asked to take law exams, it does pretty poorly. And I like the description from the University of Minnesota professors who did this, uh, where they said GPT 4 produced smoothly written answers that failed to spot many important issues, much like a bright student who didn't attend class and hadn't thought deeply about the material. So, now you can get a better feel for what we're dealing with here. It's like rote repetition rather than real reasoning and thought. GPT-4 did terribly on the actuarial exam, a sophomore, a college sophomore economics exam, graduate level tax and trust in the states exams. Um, it botched Pythagoras' theorem when when being asked to be a math teacher and got stuck in a death loop of nonsense when somebody provided it with mathematically impossible dimensions of a triangle that it should have been able to figure out. And the journal had this article where they're writing about how online editors and newspaper editors are being given so many crappy AI written submissions that they um, that have good spelling and grammar but lack of coherent story. They're just outright rejecting anything that they can get the sense that there was any AI used to generate it at all. And the most comprehensive assessment of large language models that I've seen is something called Big Bench which is a project that over 400 researchers around the country are working on there's 204 tasks involved um, and the latest that was updated was July of 23, 2023 of this year and they still found substantial underperformance of large language models compared to the average human much less the a highly performing human anyway you know that manuela veloso runs is from carnegie mellon and she runs j p morgan's ai research group And they're doing a lot of really interesting applications of large language models. She walked me through some of them, and I was very impressed. They do seem like they're productivity savers. Information checking, information gathering, charting tools, um, making sure the documents are filled out properly, all, all of which are mostly designed to reduce errors and omissions. And that's potentially a very powerful and profitable application of a large language model. For me, it's a little different. So here's what I did. I took 71 questions from the eye on the market over the last two years that my analysts and I worked on. And I asked chatgpt 4 to take a shot at it. And I graded GPT-4 based on its speed, accuracy, and depth versus the work that we had done um, ourselves to get the answers. Um, so in other words, we're not, we're not grading it whether it can do anything. We're grading it compared to the process that we used that didn't yield any hallucinations or errors or things like that. And we enabled the GPT-4 features to upload data files when it couldn't find it on its own needed data files. We enabled the plugins that allow it to browse PDFs and Excel files when necessary. So as a result, a lot of you have read that GPT-4's training data for its parameters ended in 2021. That's not a constraint because we added all the plugins to give it all of the data and all of the web access that we need to answer any of our questions. Um, and so you know here the results it was a mixed bag um and a very bimodal distribution of grades uh it got a lot of a's out of out of seventy one questions it got twenty six a's and and twenty five a minuses. that sounds great. The problem is it also got thirteen d's and six f's so it was very much of a bimodal distribution the g p a worked out to about two point five, which is between a c minus and a b plus and you might say, well, you know, what, what did it get wrong? And um, here are some examples of, of what it did. It would hallucinate numbers and then absolutely refuse to provide a source for where it found them, which is very frustrating. It, it would outline the correct steps to solve a problem and then execute the steps incorrectly when doing it. It misread data files that we provided to it. Uh, it didn't notice when, when there was data in a spreadsheet and there were subtotals that you should exclude subtotals from when you're summing a column. Uh, it, it messed up some energy conversions. And it also asserted certain facts that are easily contradicted by other readily available information. So um, that was my experience with it. And um, I guess the, the bottom line is, just to wrap up, I think GPT-4 is going to have a big impact uh, in, in Manuela's world, for example since the tasks that she's designing for it are conform more to what these things are made for, which is error checking and memorization, uh, most often using trained corporate data and not just trained you know, internet data. The, the part that I struggle with the most is, how am I supposed to incorporate a tool where even if it can get some answers to complex questions right, I have to check every single answer because since it sometimes gets things wrong, I have to check every answer. And by the time I've done that, where's the productivity gain of using the tool in the first place? So anyway, I, I'm just gonna use it for the simpler questions where it performs well. I think that's what it's made for. Uh, and uh, you know, at just $20 a month for GPT-4, I got what I paid for. So that's, uh, that's this month's Eye on the Market. Uh, we've got a piece coming up that's a deep dive on uh, New York City and its recovery compared to other major metropolitan areas that uh, I think a lot of our clients will be interested in. And of course, we're going to continue to monitor what's going on with Fed, with the Fed and consumer spending, energy prices, and uh, an economic slowdown later this year. Thanks for listening and I'll see everybody next time.
0: Michael Semblis, Eye on the Market, offers a unique perspective on the economy, Current events, markets, and investment portfolios, and is a production of JP Morgan Asset and Wealth Management. Michael Semblist is the chairman of market and investment strategy for JP Morgan Asset Management and is one of our most renowned and provocative speakers. For more information, please subscribe to the Eye on the Market by contacting your JP Morgan representative. If you'd like to hear more, please explore episodes on iTunes or on our website. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is a communication on behalf of J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated. Views may not be suitable for all investors and are not intended as personal investment advice or as solicitation or recommendation. Outlooks and past performance are never guarantees of future results. This is not investment research. Please read other important information, which can be found at www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclaimer dash EOTM.